the check glass. I'm going to say as a, a woman with red hair in a room that has a kind of soup-like warmth. <laughs> I'm probably going to go redder and redder, so but don't panic, it's just my natural face. <laughs> what happens. Um, created in response to a call for souvenirs to accompany the Mass Exercise Spartakiad event in Prague in 1955, Czech artist Miloslav Klinger, who was born 1922, died 1999, um, created glass gymnast figurines, which were amongst other designs selected to be sold at this, the first all-state Spartakiad in Czechoslovakia. Klinger's gymnasts were of ideological economic and artistic value to their commissioners, as well as answering to notions of memory and taste. In relation to my wider PhD research, there are objects that speak of the balance, no, that's no pun intended, uh, between so-called artistic and industrial aims, individual and mass, and examples of an idea that I think can be well described through terms used in an early 1950s article by a writer called Derek Vinney concerning this a notion of exceptional typicality, objects that aim to be exceptional whilst typical within the socialist design context. The Spartakiad event took place between the 1st and 9th of May 1955, the first being the International Workers' Day and 9th the anniversary of the liberation of Czechoslovakia from Nazi occupation. The first official Spartakiad taken place in Moscow in 1928 as a means of competing with the Olympics, demonstrating through synchronised exercise how individuals could work together to form a greater collective. However, the word was coined as Spartakiada in 1921 by the Czech founder of the Workers' Federation of Sports Associations, Jerzy Kalopetsky. And the name stems from Spartacus, obviously gladiator and leader of the slave uprising. Spartakiad events in Czechoslovakia overlapped with an older form of patriotic gymnastics called Sokol, founded in 1862. The Spartakiad completely replaced Sokol under communism from the 1950s, so many of the Czechoslovak visitors to the 1955 Prague Spartakiad would have had this layering of meaning in their minds when viewing Klinger's glass gymnasts. A committee including representatives of sport, manufacturing, distribution, the Ministry of Culture, Central Union of Czechoslovak Visual Artists chose works that they felt met the committee's aims of creating tasteful and valuable reminders of the Spartakiad event for visitors to buy. And criteria included an understanding of the ideological and cultural value of the event as well as reasonable production costs. There were three categories of objects. Um, utility objects, such as gym shoes and sports <coughs> bags decorated with the Spartakiad emblem. Novelty objects, like cigarette cases, paper wrapping, pendants and cups, again with the logo, and the category in which Klinger's work belongs, artistic souvenirs like figurines and posters, which had what was considered a more direct relationship to Spartakiad and that they were inspired by it and would therefore also have the ability to interpret the ideological content of the celebrations. 
Klinger's figurines act as an access point, not only to ideas behind the Spartakiad mass gymnastics events from both the Czechoslovak and wider Soviet perspective, but also the history of glass craft and production in Czechoslovakia, pedagogy and post-war Czech design, and theoretical concerns around relationships between craft, art and industry in 1950s communist Czechoslovakia. Described as upominkové předměty, variously as translatable as souvenirs, reminders, keepsakes, but also as commemorative objects, Klinger's figures are expected to act, as I've mentioned, as vehicles of both ideology and memory. But the components conveyed and remembered by his glass gymnasts are made up of more layers and complexities <coughs> than those perhaps intended by the state committees that selected them. Fresh in most minds would have been the 1948 11th Sokol Slet, as their gatherings were called, which became a site of political unrest in Prague. Strangely enough, English writer Edith Pargeter, who you might know better as Ellis Peters, who wrote the Cadwell mystery novels, who was actually very popular in Czechoslovakia and was awarded prizes there, including a celebratory dinner for her in 1968 in Prague. She was one of the audience at the Slet and was inspired to write an account of it in 1950, particularly citing the Sokol motto, Not for glory, not for gain, used in this paper's title, a statement of the cooperative, self-sacrificing aims of Sokol. Bhagata describes the mounting tension as the slap parades transform into a demonstration, contributing to the undoing of the Sokol movement. Sokol members called out for their earlier leaders, shouting, We are the children of Masaryk. All the world knows that we want Benej back. As Clement Gottwald, the, on the left here, the Soviet back leader of the Czechoslovak Communist Party, looked on. One member of the crowd protested that millions of Russians had died to liberate them, and he was quickly mocked by the rest of the crowd, who strengthened their cries of support for pre-communist party leaders. Common aspects between Spartakiad and Sokol include the promotion of tradition and folk motifs, a revolutionary spirit, Sokol was formed as part of 19th century Czech national awakening, and athletic endeavour. According to Czech writer on semiotics Vladimir Matura, the differences were mostly quantitative. The size of events, number of exercises, number of counties, and regional Spartakias. Interestingly, in relation to thinking about numbers, on the same day as the 1948 slat in Prague, the 1947 movie Monsieur Vadou, with Charlie Chaplin in the lead role, was screened at an open-air cinema in nearby Letna. And in this story of crime, Vadou marries and murders rich women for their money. His cool statement in one of the final scenes paralleling the Stalinist context in which it was being screened, he said, Wars, conflict, it's all business. One murder makes a million... Sorry, one murder makes a villain, millions a hero. Numbers sanctify, my good fellow. In this context, then, an artist selected for the Spartakiad and making work for it had to meet official approval. Fellow glass artist Yaroslava Brichtova described Klinger as a good member of the Communist Party at this time. The Spartakiad for which Klinger's ideological interpreter gymnasts were created was arranged by organisations that purposely aimed to disassociate themselves from the Sokol tradition, in a rejection of what were viewed as bourgeois associations of Sokol forged in the capitalist past. At the 1954 third meeting, National Meeting of Propaganda Instructors, the organisation of the 1955 Spartakiad was accompanied by demands that all signs of Sokol, which had officially been dissolved in 1952, were removed. Matsura outlines a semiotic reading of the gymnasts that were depicted by Klinger, which is 
you know, quite a clear one to us, where emblems of work became emblems of beauty. Gymnasts became images of flowers connecting aesthetics to images of labour. As such, their movements aim to reach perfection, not repressing actions, but ultimately, according to writer Maria Mayevara's 1955 description, cleansing them of, quote, unsightly involuntary movements. As scholar Christelle Lane has discussed, this was a wider communist regime technique to convince the rule, with the help of semiotic action, that reality actually corresponds with the ideological claim to stabilise power and therefore incur less risk of violence or radical change. So Klinger's gymnasts are part of the process trying to reflect this stabilising effect. As a collection, um, Jim Klinger's gymnasts use varying gymnastic poses to support what writer Petra Raubel, writing on the politics of gymnastics in Central and Eastern Europe, calls a grammar, or a body language of obedience to the socialist mass. As such, the figurines also denote ideas of alienation. Robel thinks that rather than capitalist distraction through the display of free play, quote, the communist regimes awaken the tradition of the ritual of alienation to prove that Taylorism is in fact natural and beautiful. In so doing, it actually did what all its fascist predecessors did with the same problem. It aestheticized politics. Klinger's gymnasts responded to this context, but also they relate to the body in another way. And this is in terms of the visible role of the hand in their making process. Klinger's Spartakiad figurines draw upon a Czech glass craft tradition and production history. The very medium in which the gymnasts are made, flame-worked glass, is symbolic or indicative of Klinger's training in Czech context, as opposed to similar figures made in Germany or the USSR, that tend to be porcelain. A 1955 discussion of his Spartakiad works published in Tvar magazine highlights his connection to this craft heritage showing approval for its place in Czech production history, bound to themes of work, contemporary ideas of artistic development, and the drive for post-war reconstruction of industry in formerly Nazi-occupied northern Bohemia. One feels that just as the Spartakiad events represented an ideal set of forms and platforms for presenting socialist Czechoslovakia, so do the origins of Klinger's glass figures made at the national enterprise Zelezna and the frequent approval of glass from this area and the promotion of its connection to themes of industry and economic as well as artistic endeavour are indicative of the period, resonating with, going back to Masura again, a statement he made saying, incidentally, the entire period of the 1950s in Czechoslovakia was oriented towards maximal semantic reduction to a specific limited register of themes and methods of arrangement. The flame or lampwork glass figurine was a form stemming from cottage industry in the Czechlands, a national industry closely associated with Czech artist Jaroslav Brichter, who had created them since the 1920s in the glass town of Zelezny Brod, and this is where he taught and Klinger first trained at the specialised school for glassmaking. Zelezny Brod brings another theme to the gymnast in that it plays a significant role in the history of Czech glass as the first town to gain a Czech-speaking glass school in 1919, the year after Czechoslovakia became independent from the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Brichter's formal influence can be seen in works produced by Klinger in the 1940s and early 1950s, um, as can socialist realist subject matter, peasants, workers, an idealised mother with child. Looking at work by Klinger from earlier in the 1950s demonstrates why he was popular and selected for the Spartakiad. His socialist realist girl of 1950 shows a healthy young subject with a sickle, a peasant worker in traditional clothing, the tree under which she passes implying 
a rural agricultural landscape around her. But there's an interesting grey area introduced here. I don't know if anyone in the group can kind of contribute and help me with this as well. But in relation to the supposedly kind of right and wrong forms of folk influence, showing the communist selection of tradition from and ownership of the past according to whether it supports approved ideology. And this is connected to a debate around authenticity, Sokol being inauthentic in its folk associations through its self-referential bourgeois ideals, and connected to what Paul was saying about some 19th century origins. And writing in 1955, Jindrich Schwetz differentiated between the correct nature of Klinger's souvenir gymnasts and the contrasting rejected items that were submitted to the selection committee. He describes the latter as dubious, kitschy things, defaulting to tasteless production through just basically attaching a Spartakiad logo to various badly made objects, taking advantage of consumer demand. And one example that's given of that is Sverazove objects, and in particular a plate. You can find a plate, but this is a dress showing, showing the style, which can be translated as originality or individuality, but often is just translated as, into English as folklorist. And these objects are also rooted in the period of 19th century and the Czech National Awakening and the concerns around ethnographic collection, the influence of traditional folk art, textiles, clothes, ceramics and architecture. In 1950s, Czechoslovakia, ethnographic practice, but with the purpose of creating goods for economic success, was led by organisations such as ULOV, which is the Centre for Folk and Art Production. And debates around this practice and its relationship to authenticity were played out in forms that feature in my wider thesis. So ex I look at things like exhibitions like um, Umienia Kitsch in Brno, which pitched folk, avant-garde and... Um, Kitsch, avant-garde and folk against one another. Um, and also then we have, looking a little bit later, um, on the right there, a, a column which was regularly in the magazine Domov, a pantomime in bad taste. And it's some of the objects very much and very nearly overlap with the source Spartakiad figures, which were accepted, so you get these kind of dilemmas. Um, and then this whole kind of movement around folk was, and the collection ethnographic practice was parodied by Carol Vakak uh, in his film Arazka Hellas, which parodies a sort of drunken festival um, in 1963. And all these events relate to the debate between hand and industry, artistic qualities and mass, of which Klinger's gymnasts are part. And the place in which he worked, Jelesny Brod, as I've mentioned, was key to that debate and was a geographical region energised by attempts with different degrees of success to rebuild the glass industry with ambitions towards artistic endeavour and experimentation as well as export. Understanding of Klinger's practice is enhanced by knowing this geopolitical context. It's also helpful to know about his educational influence. He trained during the 1940s at the Prague School, which was then school, um, later Academy of Applied Arts, under Karol Stippel, who led the studio of artwork in glass in the 1930s, and at the end of the war, when the School of Applied Arts was elevated to academy status, he became head of the interestingly named studio of Applied Sculpture, Glyptic Art and Glass Engraving. And the latter speaks of his attachment to craft and industry. Stippel has been quoted as saying, The crafts are in me, I respect the crafts. Since the 1930s, this tutor of Klinger, he'd worked in jewellery design as well as cut and engraved vases. And his studio was seen as conservative, small scale, focusing on industry, contrasting to the freer atmosphere of the studio of his colleague, Josef Kaplitsky, so Stippel on the left, Kaplitsky on the right, 
um, who was head of a specialised glass school at the Prague Academy of Applied Arts, where he taught large-scale windows and panels, stained glass, mosaics, blown painted natch glass. And the two studios offer a kind of understanding of two directions in 1950s Czech glass, one concerning the pursuit of artistic freedom, leading to the work, and just to say there's sort of Brussels Expo work by each of them, a glass column on the left and um, window on the right, and called Glass Industry. Um, so the pursuit of artistic freedom um, is sort of typified perhaps, especially for, for Western audiences, through glass artist um, Stanislav Lebensky, <coughs> who trained under Kaplitsky, and whose story has been told in detail in English language publications. The other direction concerns an aim to affiliate art with industry in a more sort of way that links to craftsmanship and the applied arts, and I propose that Klinger finds his place in the latter context and continued many of Stippel's aims, which due to their applied art status and connection to official state approval, perhaps is one of the reasons why now they have a much less prominent role in subsequent scholarship. And some responsibility for this, I believe, can be allotted to the glass expert and curator from the period, Carol Hetesh. His aim was to reforge connections between art and life, kind of returning to that theme, something as he saw as being severed during the 19th century due to Bademir influence and competition with empire glass, particularly cut-lead glass from Britain. So rather than the heavy ornamentation and adornment of the latter forms, he wished to return to earlier forms of engraved and painted glass. And Hertes cites Josef Kaplitsky, who promoted engraving and decoration, and the latter as integral parts of the whole, rather than superficial additional elements. Kaplitsky spoke of combining art and life through what he saw as the painterly aspects of applied objects, treading a fine line between extravagance and slumber through creating artistic objects that still sat within the laws of utility, such as a drinking glass, but became creative. And the latter binary shows his engagement too with ideas of artistic and mass production. But the complex attitudes at this time also are reflected in, in pedagogy following anti-Nazi student protests in 1939. University-level institutions were closed down, including the Academy of Fine Arts. So an effect of the latter was that students instead filled the studios of the School of Applied Arts in, in Prague, apparently to the reluctance of some replacing applied with fine arts. Um, and that was still open due to its school rather than academy, but Stippel had originated there, and so his history is firmly rooted in applied arts. Yet Klinger was also considered experimental. Both Lebensky and Klinger went to work at Szelazny Broad, where Klinger succeeded Lebensky as director of the Glass School in 1963. In 1955, a new development in production was established as a result of Klinger's urging. A regenerative pot furnace was built for the use of both the glassmaking school in Szelazny Broad and the national glassmaking firm set up there. And this increased income for flameworked figures and larger furnace work pieces and resulting promotion can be seen in magazines like Czechoslovak Glass Review, which advertise figures for export. Klinger reached starry acclaim via his involvement in the 1958 Brussels Expo as head of, at this point of furnace worked figurines from 56 to 67 in Gillesne Broad. The Expo works are examples of his development towards more fluid form but also larger scale. His 45 centimetre high um, furnace worked lead crystal figures not only won a silver medal, but were apparently sold by the Sklo export, glass export representative before the event had even begun. The Brussels works are interested in their connection to the hand in terms of making, though now of larger scale than the Spartakiad figures, and both connect to key craftsmen within the Czech glass tradition, the figurines to Brichter 
Um, and then these larger works, perhaps the Stippel, in the belief of relationship between craftsmanship and industry. Because like the Spartakid figures, the Brussels figures lent themselves as design to greater production and were successful as export items, featuring in slow export adverts in the early 1960s. And they also led to public commissions, such as glass, a glass partition frieze in the new Bonneau International Hotel, right at the very end of the lower right picture, there's detail there, um, in 1962. All Klinger's forms share the quality of dynamism, a quality inherent in the very material which was once fluid when it's hot and malleable. In the 1940s figures too, they sort of appear to be standing in a breeze. And the dynamic is linked to in inspiration um, from Brichter and his incredible glass animation Inspirazzi of 1949, which contained glass ballerinas. It's an amazing um, animation if you ever see it, which was made frame by frame out of reformed glass for every single frame. Um, and active making was kind of idolised in the glassmaker himself. In the animation, uh, there's, a, there's a, a glassmaker who stares into a raindrop and then enters this world of making glass, and then it comes back to him and he gets on with his little individual making world at his desk um, and daydreams at his, at his flame. But also, uh, there were live glassmaking demonstrations at Brussels Expo. There's a figure in the middle again by Klinger of a glassblower. We've got Klinger at top left-hand corner and Brichter below in their white coats making at Brussels. So um, they're kind of made <coughs> maker heroes as well in this context. And the appeal of gymnasts to Klinger was therefore not purely ideological. They're really about a debate in the glass industry, the role of craft and dynamism, discourses between individuality and mass or anonym anonymity. And they explore national history and, gla and Czech glass pedagogy. For the 1955 context, all these components combine to mean that they're approved by the state commissioners as meeting the right sort of exceptional typicality. In some ways, a play on the Marxist-Leninist idea of national form and social and content, but more than that, a binary referred to again and again throughout this period, though not in those specific terms, which is about the poles of individuality and anonymous, and trying to create work that fitted in the middle whilst being an economic success. And this was a very fine balance, and even Klinger did not maintain it. He suffered a fall from grace in 1970. He went from being the first Czech glassmaker to win a state award in 1960 to being forbidden from exhibiting and making his own creations due to his active participation in the 14th special meeting of the Czechoslovak Communist Party, uh, which condemned the, condemned the Soviet invasion of 1968. So in a context where materials, especially glass, were not available outside of official <laughs> institutions, this would have been a grave punishment. Klinger is not an easy artist to research and I've been repeatedly told by museums, curators and archives that my questions are, are tricky and currently <laughs> I have another archive in sight at the moment which I hope will be more fruitful and key questions I want to answer around um, the number that were produced, um, exactly how they were exhibited, um, of how they were transitioned from gallery to home, um, how much they cost and I want to see the mantelpieces and cabinets where they were held um, I wish in some ways to follow in the footsteps of writers like Svetlana Boyne, who discusses Tatiana Tolstia's story Sonia and the role of the main character's kitsch dove brooch, which, to quote her, from being an emblem of ridiculed old-fashioned tackiness turns into a sympathetic sentimental object, a souvenir imbued by personal warmth. The souvenir holds the aims of those who commissioned them, but also transitioning a transitioning meaning of those that own them, and as Boyum says, they make us question certain commonplaces of commodity theory. Similarly, Susan Stewart points out the tragedy of the souvenir is the death of memory, the unmarked grave, 
It's another way of describing the impossibility that we all face of leaving traces. So whilst Klinger's 1955 Spartakiad figures may seem at first sight yet more of the same and probably familiar to things you might see on, on your grandmother's shelves, they are one step towards understanding the very complex path being negotiated by artists and designers in 1950s communist Czechoslovakia. Thank you.